Welcome to Leaving a Legacy, a podcast focusing on the legacy format and the New England magic experience with your host, Adrian. I, and I think Tin Fins is just, um, it could, it, maybe it's crack. And Jerry. I'm going to say two things to you right now, and they're going to contradict each other. Now we take you to the Red Room, where round one pairings have been posted. Good after morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us for episode six of Leaving a Legacy. I'm one of your fearless co-leaders, Jerry Mee, joined by our other co-leader, uh, Mr. Adrian. Wow, you are fearless. So fearless. So fearless. <laughs> not afraid to play Karn at all. No, not at all. Well, I am now. No more Karn. Why, why, uh, why is that? Uh, you, you know me. I have ADD when it comes to decks. I can't, I can't stay with a deck for longer than a couple months, like. Okay. Bug Delver was the one exception. I played that for almost nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, I would I, I change decks every week. You know, we're we're pretty fortunate that we have the uh, weekly uh, Legacy tournament. The so. weekly and the collections. Right. Yeah. The, exactly. I mean, I, I mean, I was lucky enough to get in uh, back in the old days when dual lands were thirty dollars. So, oh, that makes luckily. One of us. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I tell that story, and people are either like, oh, well, let me tell you the one-up story. I was playing back when Black Lotus was $30. Like, oh, good for you. Or I get the, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, so know. it's it, one or the other. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so luckily, also, just, you know, once you're in the legacy community, a lot of people can attest that, you know, you make the friends. You can put together pretty much any deck, but, you know, scraping together. The larger friend group you have, the more access cards you have, so it's a lot easier to switch between decks. So I guess on that, uh, that kind of leads me to a question. What what was the what were the cards that you loaned Bob? Oh, so yeah, Bob for the SCG, uh, I let him borrow the uh, Arid Mesas, Flooded Strands, and Scalding Tarns. Even though he, uh, it wasn't Arid Mesa, sorry, it was uh, Scalding Tarn and Flooded Strand because okay, he was just... playing. Yeah, he was playing Bug Delver, and uh, he wanted to throw people off, uh, make him think that he was playing, you know, Miracles or yeah. Blue White Red or something, anything other than Delver, uh, Bug Delver, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't it a kind of a giveaway when you turn one play Delver holding days anyway? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the jig's up. The jig's up really quick. <laughs> but, you know, your opponent's line of play, you know, like we say, Legacy's such an early, determined game. You know, the... The game is can be decided as early as turn one, turn two. So if you can make your opponent make the wrong choice turn one, that could be the deciding factor of the entire of the entire game. Mm. So if say you are playing Bug Delver and you go, uh, you know, a uh, flooded strand into Basic Island into Ponder, your opponent's gonna think, oh well, he must be playing a uh, combo deck, so. Instead of uh, playing an early threat, I'm going to hold up the spell pierce I have in my hand because I need to make sure I, uh, you know, disrupt him if he tries to go off. And then you slam Delver's Secret Thoughtseize next turn. Right. Uh, that that can just ruin them. Whereas you got a massive tempo swing and you are able uh, to strip the card out of their hand that they were saving for something that they thought was coming but actually had no possibility. Mm-hmm. 
and that early shift of momentum, you can just ride to, to victory for the entire game. So it's not a huge, huge, huge advantage, but it definitely is advantage. And when you're playing at upper level legacy tournaments, you know, it's all about the percentage points. It's all about grinding out that little bit of advantage. Yeah. So why did, did you put Karn down now? I did put Karn down. Uh, Bug Delver was fun. You know, it was an awesome deck. Loved playing it. Had crazy interactions, but it's just not a very competitive deck at the moment. Bug Delver? Um, well, Bug oh, Walkers. Oh, 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 okay. Bug, Bug Delver's still very good. I was playing Bug Walkers just because I wanted to draft, drop Jaces, <laughs> but I didn't want to play Miracles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm a, I have uh, I have the problem of you know being a connoisseur junkie. <laughs> I want to play Jace, but I don't want to play him in the deck he's best in. Right. Miracles is definitely the best Jace deck, but I just don't like playing that deck. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did the homebrew Bug Walkers deck, and it's a very fun deck, but it's not a tier one deck by any means. And getting closer and closer to the GP, I felt I really needed to uh, tune up my game and you know pick the deck that I was going to play at the GP and have the best results with. Right. Yep, and after talking to Bob last week, uh, I'm now on the blue-white-red Delver list, and, you know, Bob definitely has always had the foresight. That deck is very good, very, very good. Uh, I've been loving playing that deck. Uh, crushed the local tournament uh, this weekend with it. Uh, you know, played the wide range. Uh, you know, round one, uh, crushed Merfolk 2-0. Oh, wow. uh, round two, uh, crushed Miracles uh, 2-0. Uh, round three, I lost to the homebrew junk loam, uh, loam pox deck with Astral Slide. Okay. Uh, yeah, and the, he, the reason why he beat me is, uh, both games he beat me, it, it went to game three, both games he beat me, he got the Mox Diamond into Wasteland into Life for the Loam, and I just, you know, couldn't come back from that, getting, getting that early Wasteland lock on me. The deck has no basic land, well, it has one island, just <laughs> to play around the first Wasteland, but you know, <laughs> when you're running like Stoneforge Mystic and True Name Nemesis, you really need more than just an island. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wasteland locked. That was my only loss of the day. Uh, I also crushed elves in uh, two games, and then we played some friendly matches after that, and just did not lose a single game to elves. Was this a, I, this was a T? Yes, this was at uh, that's entertainment. Wow. Uh, so was playing that uh, deck was very very strong. It's the reason why I picked it up is it's really good in the blue red matchup. Mm-hmm. Uh, it basically plays like the blue red deck, uh, just as explosive. Really takes advantage of treasure cruise, but because you're running Stoneforge Mystic, you have a much better late game plan. The blue red deck once your opponent stabilizes, it's really hard to come back unless you kind of can chain some uh, treasure cruises together. With the blue white red deck, you're just as explosive. You can get those free wins off of Delver, but you also have the long game plans against, you know, more controlling decks like Miracles. Mm. Uh, plus, just in the blue-red versus blue-white-red matchup, it's it's something like 70-30 in blue-white-red's uh, favor. Hmm. Um, you're packing, you know, four swords, four lightning bolts, so you can deal with all the all their creatures and really keep up with them, and then just Batter Skull is back-breaking in that matchup. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about starting to do something with Stoneforge Mystic, but those two I sold, so... Uh... Now I gotta try to either track down Stoneforge Mystics again or just, uh, play a different deck. Yeah, I mean, they're not, they're not outrageous. Stoneforge is like $25. Yeah. Uh, Skull is pretty cheap because it's the GP promo. Yep, and I don't uh, do foils, so that's cool. Well, that, as in you don't, you don't like to pick up foils? Yeah, I don't well, play, I don't play with foils at all. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I like them just because the, the GPs are the same price. You know, it's $20 for a batter skull, $20 for the promo. So, yeah. you know, I'm not going to pay extra for a foil, but if it's the same price, I'll always get the foil over the non-foil. Yeah, I just feel like then I should foil out the rest of my deck. I don't like, <laughs> I, I that, just, I don't, I don't like to have, I mean, well, you can't have the one foil card in the deck anyway. You know. Well, you can. That's a that's a misconception I've noticed a lot from tournament players that they think you can you can only have X amount of foils or you can't have this card be foil. What it is is it's not illegal. It's just a red flag. Right. So I remember people were talking about a Merfolk player whose entire deck, the Islands and the Aether Biles, were foil. Sure. Everything else was non-foil. Yep. That's a red flag. Yep. It's not an actual rules infraction, though, unless those foils have the humidity warps, and you can just tell by looking at the deck where the foils, non-foils are. Mm-hmm. Well, for, uh, and, for, and for me, it's just a matter of... Um, I don't... <clears throat> I don't like to feel myself get an unfair advantage. It's just a matter of personal honesty for me, really. I mean, it's, you know, like, I, the upcoming GP promo is the Grizzle brand. I love that mm-hmm. artwork, you know, and, like, looking at that artwork and realizing it's a foil, it would make me want to foil out an entire deck, but I wouldn't play just, I wouldn't play just that Grizzle brand in a deck. Like, it's, it's just not, well, it's not my taste. The good thing for you, though, is that it seems like Wizards is hell-bent on foiling out all of Sneak and Show. You know, Grizzlebrand's this foil. Uh, Emrakul was the uh, promo foil when mm-hmm. uh, it first came out. Sneak Attack is a judge promo. Show and Tell's a judge promo. Force of Will's a judge promo. They just had the Brainstorm foils. Blusterstorm, yeah. So they're, like, hell-bent on making Sneak and Show a foil judge promo deck for some reason. Yeah, and I'm really... I. You know, I, I put it together a few weeks ago, and it's not the same as it used to be. I just, uh, it wasn't, I don't know, man. Like, I've had, all right, so I haven't seen you since, you know, we went and played at TJ's uh, a couple weeks ago. or Right, yeah. So, and, and that was the last time I saw you. How'd you end up doing there? Uh, not too good. I was still on Bug Walkers at that point. That was, I think, actually the last time I played Bug Walkers. Okay. Uh, I won a resounding uh uh two three and that yeah. was that was, you know, the signal to pack in the bag. I think it was better than I did. I think the only match I ended up winning was against Miracles. Um <laughs> and it was uh it it was funny because, um well it wasn't I don't know, man. Like I so I, I I don't even know if I told you that, but I went down to a Grand Prix trial in Connecticut and ended up in top eight. Actually I took second with Tinfins. Oh yeah, you were telling me about that, yeah. And then Congratulations. Went, well that's yeah, it's uh the deck's a blast, but then I went to um, TJ's and I did terrible there. I only won it, that one match against Miracles. And actually, round one, um, boy, that guy's pretty freaking good. I don't know who he is, but I know he's. Uh, you know, now I'm now that I played against him. Um, Keith, oh, jeez, yeah, Keith. Anyway, or yeah, I believe it was Keith. Yeah, Keith. Uh, yeah, he's a local player. Yeah. Um, I just just started to get to know him recently. Yeah, he does seem very good. Yeah, he's pretty good. And he knows, you know, he knows a variety of formats. Um, you know, I sat down and played against him, and I just am under the impression that Tin Finch just can't beat Buck Delver. Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's it's between Days, Spell Pierce, Thought Seize, Force of Will. Um, I can't, I couldn't get around him. So anyway, but then I went to, um, what did I do Sunday? I went to. A GPT at Kineticon in Connecticut. I was actually hoping to run into Celso down there, but I didn't see him down there. He was apparently up in Amherst, but uh, oh no, he was with a sick family member. But um, and I hope they're doing all well. Okay, but I went down to the GP trial there, and I ended up in top eight. Um, you know this this I I didn't fa- but 
I did lose to Bug Delver. Uh, I didn't face him until late. And then as it went into top eight, and it's like the winning in, you know, my, my, I must have been ranked either third or fourth, but the guy, he's like, well, we can all, we can draw right into it. And I'm looking down, and the guy that's seventh and eighth, they're playing it out. I'm like, yeah, we should just play. And like at the same time, I'm thinking, I kind of wanted to know what he was playing, so that if I played him, you know, in top eight, I'd know what I'm playing against instead of going in blind. And if I'm knocked out, I'm knocked out. And if I'm in, I'm in. Whatever. Right. But, but like, I, I go into play anyway. So, uh, it turned out, uh, how did, how did that work out? Cause, you know, after round one, everybody in the room knows what I'm playing. You know what I mean? Cause it's that is, <laughs> that is the downfall of the combo deck that the word quickly spreads. You know, whenever anyone's playing reanimator or dredge or sneak attack, if you're the only like boogeyman combo deck in the, in the room, people are going to find out pretty quick. <laughs> and it was definitely the Boogeyman combo deck. Um, you know, I, I saw probably a couple of Enchantress decks, um, which, you know, no fear of those. Bug Del, um, what was it? Esper Deathblade. Um, there was a bunch. That, my, my first match was Affinity, uh, which, it was actually Affinity with Stoneforge Mystic. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was fast. You know, like, I, I, it's it, I'm comboed out quick, and then the second game I brought in Serenity. Yeah, Stoneforge Mystic is very good in the Affinity deck, just because it has so many targets. It you does. know, yeah. When Batterskull isn't the best target, that's pretty scary because I can grab Cranial Plating, and then if it's running uh, Thopter Foundry, it grabs the Sword of the Meek for that combo. Mm-hmm. It gets very very scary in that uh, matchup. Yeah, but the, it's the thing is like, well, I mean. So this deck is just too fast anyway for it. Like it doesn't. They they need they need more disruption than I think that they could get. So I ended up. Oh uh, yeah. I, so I got him fast. But so as I get into the top eight, um, you know, I decided to I wanted to play it out with my opponent, and I believe he I forget who won the role. I think he did. Um, and he turned one entombed. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like, but he went for he was debating whether he wanted Grizzlebrand or Iona. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so he's just actual reanimator. And, right. And, and um, I was able to get Grizzlebrand out and kill him faster. Game two, you know, I'm th- I'm thinking, what's he going to bring out of the sideboard? He's n- I'm not going to see Grafdigger's Cage come out of reanimator. And apparently I haven't, like, I haven't played against Nick enough um, to have that experience against that deck. You know, and I'm like, he's not, maybe Leyline of the Void. Like, what would I actually see coming out of him? And it, did, I forgot about Tomat's Crypt. Really, yeah. I would. I would. I mean, I wouldn't expect a Tormod's Crypt out of Reanimator either. Um, most Reanimator decks I've seen actually just don't even bother with the Graveyard Hate because they're trying to win faster. Well, you know, the, the faster only than Dredge. Yeah, uh, Reanimator is a faster deck than Dredge. Okay. Um, so the only other Graveyard deck that they're afraid of is other Reanimator decks, and mm-hmm. and obviously Tinfins because Tinfins is a turn faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, reanimator, but it's such a fringe deck, mm-hmm. they wouldn't really be expecting it. Yeah, so he actually landed Tomas Crypt. Um, and so I lost to him, but I still ended up in top eight. And yeah, you could do that. Uh, what was it, five rounds? Yeah, it was five rounds. And then in top eight, I faced a guy who had, uh, he was doing Dark Depths. And it was like Vampire Hex Mage Dark Depths. It wasn't, like, I didn't see a life from a loam the whole time. Oh, it's like traditional. It was uh, dark depths. It was it was uh, it was very interesting because you know I, game one I killed him so fast. Uh, game two I was trying to figure out well what would I see out of him and the first things that usually come out of Gataxian probes 
and, and um, because I, I know what he's doing, so I'm not really too worried about the cabal. You know, making a live cabal therapy anymore. I'll pretty much have an idea. Like, it's my sideboard cards that I want, and I figured Cage. Um, as it turned out, I think I had to play around Chalice at zero, Grafdigger's Cage, Surgical Extraction. Um, he had quite a few cards. <laughs> he was prepared for you. <laughs> it was, it was, but what he wasn't prepared for, and him and the judge both had to read Pull from Eternity. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, I, so he managed the surgical grizzle brand. I pull from Eternity, put it back in the graveyard, and now I just have to get rid of the cage, but he kills me first with a merit leech. Uh, yep, exactly. So that was, that was okay. That was okay. Um, but then I, I, came home and decided to put together a different deck. There's actually uh, a store that opened in this area. Um, it's actually just kind of a store that's been already in existence, but it's under new management. And they're actually doing Legacy on Wednesday night. And then this Friday, they're going to do a Legacy FNM. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so I was I was pretty excited. And, and, you know, I picked my son up on the weekends, and I think this Friday we'll probably go see the Legacy FNM and play in it. So I may hand him, you know, he was gold fishing with Tinfins a little bit, and, you know, he got a kick out of it. So, right. So I made another deck so that he could play ten fins, and I could try to get some um, some some games in with a force of will deck instead of a thought seize deck. Right. That's uh that's pretty nice though. Uh, the fact that we can go to two uh decent sized legacy tournaments a week if we really wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're definitely spoiled here in New England. <laughs> yeah, I know, and I was thinking about that because you know I I my thoughts were Sunday I'll I'll go down to Connecticut. And I'll hit the GPT, and if I do terrible, I'll just drive up to Danvers. Because there was another one up there. Wasn't it Danvers? I believe it was. Yeah, and, there was Danvers. And, and and I was just on my way home thinking about it. I'm like, like I've, I've heard people in, well, of course, like parts of Canada and uh, Wyoming and Montana that just, they don't have that luxury, really. And, you know, I was talking with Celso last week about... Uh, yeah, he's he, he was he chimed in about you a little bit. He was uh, he's he's looking forward to talking with you too. Um, apparently, you guys were both on the same post thread about all of the stores holding standard. Oh base. yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's actually Keith, the player we were talking about earlier. That's how I got to know him. Is I decided I was home from work one day and I decided to just white knight the legacy. <laughs> on the New England Magic thread on Facebook and just like going on there and just like starting debates with uh, the groups it it spiraled out of control and you know you're a legacy player on a primarily standard uh, thread yeah you're gonna get ganged up on so I'm I'm having like debates with like three different people all at the same time on the same thread so I'm posting every five minutes you know <laughs> listing points I start talking about so I, I work in finance for my job so I'm going through like business plans and diversification and stock portfolios and using all these examples and people are like yeah well legacy players are arrogant I'm like, okay. You, that, that's the one consoling fact I got out of it is when your opponent starts insulting you in a debate, that's the surest sign that you've won. Because if they can think of any other point other than to just insult you on an unrelated topic, they have nothing else to contribute. And, and your mother wears combat boots. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I saw Celso on there, too. Uh, I think he was backing me up. Uh, he made some good points to the contrary. Uh, I think he was playing devil's advocate a little bit, so I, I appreciated that. Uh, just going back and forth with it, but yeah, I I feel like I have a reputation in the standard format for the first time as being <laughs> the jackass legacy player. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so you've given everybody a bad name. Yep. <laughs> the, um, so yeah, we were, we were talking about uh, 
we were talking about he's been playing Omni Show, and the last time I'd seen him, he was playing Ad Nauseum Tendrils. So we were talking a bit about that. So me, I started to pick up a different. I started to put together a different deck. I was I was debating going to play it, and um, I that I'm not in a rush. You know, I I just I just sat back and read Bob's article, and that was uh that was really good. He was a really he was a really down to earth guy. He was really cool. Uh, Bob. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Bob's a good guy. Uh, got, got to know him when he came up to that sea. He went to school in the area, so he, he came to that sea for a while, and he's always been really good. I just really like the fact that he's always ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's analyzing the metagame, and he's thinking about what deck is good against the metagame, so he'll often find decks, uh, before they become the dominant deck. He was one of the first people on Bug Delver. Mm-hmm. He was one of the first people on Sneak and Show a little while ago when Sneak and Show was really big. Okay. And, I mean, he put, he's the one who originated the Blue Red Delver decks that's dominating now. Right. So, I always look to Bob uh, a lot for, you know, inspiration about what's to come. Uh, speaking of the Blue White Red deck though, I had a hilarious matchup at the GPT uh, I played in. Okay. Uh, so, you know how I said the blue-red matchup is almost unlosable? It's just such a near favor. Uh, I did lose the blue, blue-red in that tournament, uh, in the most unexpected way. Can I, can I, can I try to guess? Go, go right ahead. Alright, so you were playing Stoneforge Mystic in, in Patriot, well, Jeskai Delver then, right? Blue-white-red. We are not going with Jeskai. <laughs> okay. Alright, so you were playing Stoneforge Mystic in there. Did the blue-red deck drop a null rod? No, they did not oh, play okay. Nullrod. Something right. even better. What's that? Uh, so I was playing Gil. Uh, not sure what his last name is, but he's a local judge. Okay. Uh, very good player. I mean, being a judge is definitely a benefit when you know the interactions inside or out. But he was a very good player. And game one, it went exactly as I thought it would. Uh, we went back and forth for a while. I resolved Stoneforge Batter Skull, and I just took over from there. Mm-hmm. So he quickly realized that he cannot win with uh, Batter Skull in play. So game two, uh, we start playing it back and forth a little bit, and he's playing his creature. So he Gitaxian probes me, and he sees I have a Forked Bulls in hand. He then proceeds to play Delver of Secrets, Young Pyromancer. Okay. And I'm, I'm like, that's a very odd move. Is he, like, going to counter the Forked Bolt? Because he just, like, is offering up this two-for-one. Right. I, I, I don't understand. A one-red board wipe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... Uh, it goes to my turn. I'm like, okay, Forked Bolt. And I have the uh, the days in play in hand uh, to counter it if he tries to counter back. And he goes, yep, that's good. Picks, scoops him up, puts him in the graveyard. I'm like, huh, that's that's strange. Uh, I passed it back to him, and he drops uh, Sulfuric Vortex. Okay, yep. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I can pretty much win this race. Even if I can't gain the life off of Batter Skull, it's okay. Uh, I, I, I have a little bit of damage on him, uh, and I have some, I have a, uh, Delver in play. I can win this race. Mm-hmm. So I let the Sulfuric Vortex resolve. We then proceed, he gets rid of my Delver, and we proceed to go back and forth. Every time one of us plays a creature, uh, the other one kills it. Yeah. Back and forth, back and forth, until finally we're both pretty much out of creatures and we're just saving cards up in hand. And this entire time, Sulfuric Vortex is taking us down two at a time, two at a time, two at a time, until finally it gets to the point where I'm on four and he's on three, and we both have seven cards in hand. And he casts Pyrokinesis. <laughs> no, not Pyrokinesis, <laughs> but he does go... uh uh, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. Okay. And we proceed to trade off days, mm-hmm. days, force days. 
Um, I ended up not being able to force because the way it would have worked out is I was on one because I had to let one of the lightning bolts resolve. Mm. So it shut off my force of wills, uh, which was a mistake on my end. I should have let the first, uh, lightning bolt resolve. But that entire game, not a single point of damage was dealt by a creature. They never connected. We always removed it in time. Yeah. And it came down to lightning bolts and then counter backup. Okay. Game three, he lightning quick, uh, drops two sulfuric vortex, so the clock is double. Wow. And for whatever reason, both of us just don't draw creatures that entire game. Uh, I think like maybe I got a Delver and he got a, uh, young Pyromancer and they both instantly died before getting any value. So were you, you, were you picked off by the sulfuric vortex first? Yes, I was okay. picked off because it hits me first. Right. So I have that disadvantage. So So you died because of that. Yep. Yeah. Both games it it was basically playing a counter burn deck, which was very interesting. But I definitely give Gil props because he took an un unwinnable matchup and turned it into a victory by attacking it at an angle I did not see at all hmm. by just using the sulfuric vortex as the win. I actually um one of the at the GPT I think the most interesting play that I I had to call a judge. Um because I wanted to make sure. The, I cast a Cabal... Like, this was against the Bug Delver deck. I cast Cabal Therapy. He brainstorms. I had to call the judge. I wanted to know, after the brainstorm resolves, can I still respond to the Cabal Therapy on the stack? Because now that he's now that he's put brainstorm on the stack, and I know he's going to brainstorm, what I wanted to do, and what I was actually able to do, um, you know, according to the judge, I cast Cabal Therapy... He brainstorms in response. I want to let the brainstorm resolve, and then with Cabal Therapy on the stack, I want to cast something else now. So the judge says, yeah, that's that's okay. Um, you know, I, I could do that. So I was trying to uh, chain a vapor, the Graft Digger's cage, to get it into his hand after he had brainstormed. Oh, nice. <laughs> and uh, to which I think he dazed, and that, like it, it went back and forth on this, everything on the stack. Because like, I asked the judge a question, you know, so the judge... Answers me, and then makes himself available. Comes over to watch the match, you know, to make sure everything resolves okay and everybody's all right. It turned out to be the last match of the the last play of the game, <laughs> like because uh, how did it how did it happen? Cabal therapy, he brainstorms. Um, I let the brainstorm revo- resolve. I try to chain a vapor, the graft digger's cage. He either dazed it or spell pierced it, um, and I think I tried to do something else. He had another counter spell, and then he attacked me with the delver after that. So it was. Uh, it turned out to be the last play of the game, but I do not, you know, I don't... That's I, that's definitely a good play, though. I mean, well, that's not something people would think of. What, to, oh, to respond with the Cabal Therapy after the Brainstorm? Right, Cabal Therapy, and then in response, bounce up permanent to get, you know, guarantee a, a hit with the Cabal Therapy. Yeah, and I was only going to do it because he Brainstormed. You know, like, mm-hmm. like ideally, you know, that's... Ideally, that's what I'll do anyway, is try to bounce a permanent cabal. You know, and at least now I know something's live in your hand, even if I haven't probed you. I know something's live in your hand. I'm going to have the information anyway, and chances are whatever I just bounce is probably something I want to get rid of anyway. Um, that that knowledge is pretty good. But the 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 kind of point was that uh, I don't I don't regret getting the judge involved. You know, just because to make sure that I'm playing legitimate. You know, and and to also not to give up that extra information. Like, oh, definitely. You know, it's it's um, this. I I don't typically I don't bother to call judges. You know, there was like 
one play was one of the opponents was doing something that I thought was a little bit questionable, and I'm just kind of looking at the judge sort of askance, like, is that <laughs> is that legitimate? But it was um, not the biggest deal in the world anyway. I kind of like, you know, it was what the, it was supposed to be a 1K, um, and I don't exactly know how that turns out, but I think I ended up taking eighth and got thirty six dollars in store credit. So somebody got like I don't <laughs> think that works out too well. <laughs> but like I don't know how it's a one K with twenty people either, so Yeah, they probably lowered the uh the prize pool with that low turnout. Yeah, I think they had to, which is okay with me, because a lot of times what I've noticed is that and we've talked about this in the past, as the prize support gets larger um, unscrupulous gameplay starts to become more apparent. True. You know, and and I, I'm I'm more interested in actually having a legitimate interactive game with um, opponents where that's the goal of what we're doing, not not to like walk out with the most store credit or whatever. Because and it's, I mean, yeah, it's it's nice to win and stuff, but it's really it's really neat to I find it to be really neat to learn about. Interactions on the stack and different card interactions and new plays that like, I, you know what I wanted to ask you because, you know I only started playing again with Innistrad so I've only been playing again for a couple of years and I stopped at Fallen Empires so there's a world of like cards I missed in between and it's one of the reasons I went towards Legacy was because I I could play with the cards that I remembered from when I was a kid but I could still play with the things that I was drafting anyway and so one of the things I wanted to ask you was when I started playing Legacy again, I went to a store and there was a Legacy tournament, and my mind was blown when I saw her play. And it was, um, it was very, like, now looking back on it, it seems like it was simple. But these are, these are things that maybe, I mean, I don't, I don't really know who listens to this. I mean, I know there's a list of people that are on the email distribution list, and there's a list of people on, um, MTG cast, but there's also the GP coming up. And some people may just be standard players who don't really play a lot of Legacy and don't really think about some of the plays that me and you make consider commonplace you know so i started thinking about right so i started thinking about the, the plays that i saw when i started playing again and the first time i saw somebody violin a, a lord of atlantis out of a merfolk deck before combat damage oh yeah that even more tricky than that is like violin a curse catcher as as an actual counter spell okay yeah yep and and how and i was talking with somebody the other day because somebody had pointed out to me how good curse catcher is against hive mind because they don't get the copy of the counter spell Exactly, and um, and against so there was like all these all these odd little plays that I was um, some of the things that are so so powerful, so subtle, and so overlooked by you know if you're just getting into the format. Like I, I played against the Shardless Bug deck a few weeks ago, and he um, he brainstormed, and a lot of times I might fight over the brainstorm, but I I didn't have a counter spell at the time, but I let him resolve the brainstorm. I was holding a stifle for his fetch land. So I brainstorm locked him for a couple of turns because he didn't actually right. have another land, and like that's something that a lot of people who only play standard don't realize is a is a play. Oh, definitely. I remember when I was playing the uh, the Bug Walkers deck. Uh, that deck's based around veteran explorer Cabal Therapy, mm-hmm. and just seeing people's reactions who had never seen that interaction before, just being blown away. It's like you get to do what? <laughs> they they come into play untapped. Mm, what? Yeah. And you're gonna make me discard and ramp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's su- such an underplayed combo in Legacy, but 
that's a combo that was old when I first started playing back in Onslaught. Okay. You know, that, that was a, a judgment level, uh, combo mm-hmm. that, you know, people had been doing that for two, three years by the time I started playing. So it blows my mind how there are just all these hidden gems of interaction and legacy that people have never seen before, mm-hmm. either because they're obscure or they've fallen out of favor, like Cabal Therapy Veteran Explorer, mm-hmm. or they just, you know, plain don't play legacy. Right. So, I mean, that's that's probably one of the best aspects of playing in a legacy tournament is seeing those crazy interactions that you've never seen before. Oh, I mean, that's that's one of the things I enjoy. And again, you know, back to that, um, you know, they mentioned it on SCG coverage um, last weekend, I think. But to to most people, the idea of like, it may be common for most people to think to realize that you can wipe a miracles board by playing engineered explosives for seven. You know, but that wasn't something that I was aware of. I had to watch Josh do that and, and say to myself, wow, that's phenomenal. You know, that's that's a great play. And, like, that was that was part of my learning experience, you know? Right, exactly. Well, one of the best parts, too, is with every new set comes the chance for an undiscovered old favorite to suddenly become good. <laughs> and I'm stretching my segue muscles here. There you go. Uh, with the new Commander sets coming out. Mm-hmm. So... Commander traditionally has always been a really good format for us legacy players because they always include a couple gems. It's, uh, it's not a good format for the commander players, is that where we're going? Ah, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, sure, I guess commander players get something out of this. Yeah, but, but we talk, we talk legacy, so this this is one of the few times where you know most legacy playable cards are just too good to ever be seen in standard. So it's the cards like Treasure Cruise, which aren't that good in Standard, but are crazy in Legacy, that we get excited about with regular sets. With Commander, because they're never legal in Standard, Wizard doesn't need to worry about the power level as much, mm-hmm. so they can sneak in those cards that are, you know, okay in Commander, but absolutely bonkers in Legacy. Fluster you know, uh, True Name Nemesis. <laughs> I, see, now, I, I love, I do love True Name Nemesis, and I, I was out hunting down the Mind Seas decks, and I still like them in Merfolk, but I, I, you know, and I, I'll hear people talk about how he's such an unfair card, and I just keep thinking of like Golgari Charm and Engineered Plague kept him in check pretty easily. Yeah, but the thing is, those cards didn't see play before uh, uh, True Name Nemesis was printed. Well, no one was running Golgari Charm and Legacy before then. Engineered sure. Plague saw a lot, little bit of play just because it hit Elves and Merfolk. Right. But well, if, people played a lot more of them. People weren't running my, like. Zealous Persecution, Golgari okay. Charm, Marsh Casualties. Like, these cards didn't see play okay. before True Name Nemesis was printed. Sure. But before we get too far off topic, yeah. what I what I wanted to say was about the old discoveries. I've been hearing a lot of buzz about the Dual Caster Mage. Yeah. Uh, you know, Red Snapcaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people have seen him. For those who haven't, he's one red red for 2-2 two, two Flash when he comes into play. Copy target instant or sorcery spell. You can choose new targets for the copy. Uh, and the talk I've been hearing is that he combos with a card from Lorwyn, uh, called Heat Shimmer. So Heat Shimmer is two and a red for a sorcery. Put a token into play. That's a copy of target creature. It gains haste <laughs> at the end of turn. Remove this permanent from the game. So you play Heat Shimmer targeting, you know, your opponent's creature or one of your other creatures, what have you. Uh, then cast, uh, Dual Caster Mage, copying Heat Shimmer, changing the target of Heat Shimmer to Dual Caster Mage. Do that over and over again, and you have infinite 2-2 haste, uh, guys that you can swing in with. So now this is like legacy, you're really thinking? 
Uh, I don't know if it's good enough for Legacy because okay. total total cost is three red, red, red. Six mana is a lot. Right. The things it does have going for it though is it's mono red. Mm-hmm. It's one of the very few infinite combos mono red can pull off. Uh, the other benefit is that dual caster mage is just a pretty good creature on its own just to run. So I can see people running like a one of heat shimmer, uh, as just an alternate win condition. Just, you know, playing, playing a, you know, playing a, playing a fair deck and just throwing that in as a oh alternate win. Uh, I don't know if it's good enough just because I don't know why dual caster mage costs three. Yeah. He's a strictly worse Strictly worse Snapcaster Mage. Uh, you know, copying a spell that's already on the stack is a lot worse than being able to play a card from your graveyard. Well, you, you know, the one... Okay, there's only there's only one instance that I can actually see using this guy for me. And that would be the Mono Red Sneak Attack deck looking for a red counterspell. Exactly. So that I see. That's where I see this heat shimmer combo as an alternate win in the mono red sneak attack deck. That just seems so. Oh my! That feels like it's. It just sounds like playing Splinter Twin in Legacy. It is. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's so Splinter, bad. It's Splinter Twin at instant speed in Legacy. <laughs> oh man. Um, I don't know if it's good enough just because you know. S- Three red, red, red is a lot, yeah. a lot, a lot in Legacy, but it's definitely interesting. Something spicy that red decks can play. I'm sure some crazy burn player will throw it in his deck just as to be cheeky, you know, just burning out his opponent. And then all of a sudden, uh, infinite two two guys. <laughs> Sound good? Is that good to you? Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm actually curious what, you know, what would I actually want to target with that? You know, for like if. All right, so let's say I'm playing a blue-red Delver deck. Would I bring that in against Ad Nauseam and then just cast it in response to their Ad Nauseam so that I can get my counterspell? Like, it's it's just, like, I'm trying to think of, like, what use would I actually have for that? Um, you can use it as a misdirection, like you're saying, uh, as a mono-red counterspell. Uh, the other use I've seen it that I think is probably the best is with Fire Blast and Burn. Okay. So... Float two mana, mm-hmm. sack two mountains, fire blast. That use the two mana, tap him, cast dual caster mage, eight damage to the face. Oh, that's good because I haven't seen enough burn decks. <laughs> yeah, so I see that's probably one of the best uses for dual caster mage. He's mm-hmm. definitely not a four of in any deck I can think of, mm-hmm. but I see him being as a one or two of in burn as just that extra oomph mm-hmm. uh, they need. Also, like cap copying a price of progress is never a bad thing mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. Um, I see it as a mono red counterspell, like you meant, or not counterspell, but basically misdirection. Hmm. Uh, I, you know, I can see it using the heat shimmer deck. I don't see that being a good deck, but I can definitely see people playing it. It's just, once again, they could have easily costed about one red. Hmm. I, I don't know if they were afraid of, like, making blue red too good. Like, I can't imagine it. Imagine a deck with eight snapcaster mages. Right. Like, if I, th- I think that's what they were afraid of. The deck with eight snapcaster mages just being absolutely horrendous to play against. Mm. Okay. I don't even know if we want to go all the way through these, but you know what I actually just realized the other day? Is that Goblin Welder is getting printed in it also? Oh, yeah. It hasn't been confirmed yet, but I would be it's, very, su- it's, I w- very I w- surprised. I would say it's confirmed. Um, I mean, Star City Games is, sell- is pre-selling them. 
Oh, really? Yeah. I did not see that. It's not, I'm on Mythic Spoiler and they don't have it, so yeah. that's why I didn't say it was. Well, I was, but, I was yeah. looking at Mythic Spoiler and they got a bunch and then, um, but I see, what happened was I went to a store and I'm going through the binders looking at, you know, what cards do I actually want. So, alright, I'll tell you. Um, so I, I put together, I, so I still have Ten Fins together and I'll let my son play that and I actually put together Blue Red Delver, which is so far out of my wheelhouse because I don't, I, I, I don't know if I've... Doesn't matter. That De- gets free wins. Doesn't. <laughs> well, no, the thing is, is like, um, I, I can't say the deck gets free wins. I think I've played a Delver deck maybe once. No, it, it gets free wins. Well, it, it, here's the thing, okay? In order to play a Delver deck, you have to remember that there's a trigger during your upkeep in order to actually get value off a of Delver. <laughs> Okay, yes, but <laughs> given you can remember that trigger, which I forget, it's free wins. Which I forget <laughs> so often. Just just put a die on top of your deck. Oh, something, something. So yeah, and and so I have to start playing different. You know, I, and chances are you may even notice playing against me that I'm going to be playing blue red delver with my graveyard in front of me because that's just a habit now. <laughs> yeah, I've seen, I actually, Gil, the Blue Red Delver player, the judge I saw, he was playing it that way too, mm-hmm. just because it helps in concealing information. You can get so many tells with Treasure Cruise, people draw a card and then instantly like look at their graveyard. Okay. Even if it's just a quick glance, mm-hmm. you can get that tell, it's like, oh, he just drew a Treasure Cruise because he's counting the cards in his graveyard. Okay. But if you're playing your graveyard like a dredge player, you can look at your graveyard while it looks like you're just analyzing the board, mm. but your eyes are just shifted a couple centimeters up, mm-hmm. and you're actually counting the number of cards in your graveyard. So, so what do you think about any of the Planeswalkers? None of the Planeswalkers are going to see play in Legacy. Maybe the white one will see it as a bad one. The white one's probably the best just because you can put an equipment card from your graveyard onto the battlefield. So I can see a janky... Uh, black white deck that entombs Batter Skull and then uses her ability, but I don't see any of the Planeswalkers being in a good deck. Not even Doretti in some sort of Metal Worker deck? Uh, I see Feldon being in a Metal Worker deck. I don't see Doretti. Doretti, Doretti maybe. Actually, yeah, I just noted, I thought Doretti was five. Oh, yeah. Like the other ones. Right. But yeah, he's actually four, so actually I take that back. Doretti, is probably more the most likely to see play because his plus two is Faithless Looting, which is really good. Mm-hmm. And uh his minus two is also very good. It's basically Goblin Welder. Mm-hmm. I was actually looking at uh Felden myself and thinking because I know Alright, so there's Tinfins, but I know there's also a Burning Reanimator deck that goes red black. Yep, exactly. I also just see Feldon being in a Grixis uh welder deck. Just because Feldon, you're you know, put a copy of a Grizzlebrand into play, swing in, use Goblin Welder to set because it comes into play as an artifact token. Mm-hmm. So then with Goblin Welder you can then sacrifice the token to bring another artifact from your graveyard into play. That's just like pure value. I don't even know if it's like a reanimator style. I think you're just doing it as like a value uh, blue, red, black deck with like Baleful Strix, uh, and just other, the, uh, Ugin's Nexus, just other just value artifact cards. You're not trying to just beat their face in with a Grizzlebrand and kill them as quickly as possible. You're just trying to grind them out by abusing the graveyard. Hmm. So I definitely see that. Uh, the ready, maybe in like a blue, black, red, uh, Planeswalker deck with, uh, Dak Faden. Yeah. 
having that, you know, the double loot effect mm-hmm. uh, with, like, a reanimator-style deck. I can see that definitely being a thing. I still want to try deck fading a little bit. I still want to I still want to try him in uh, a sneak-and-show build. Yeah, I, I think deck fading is pretty good. Uh, I think he's very good in the sneak-and-show as one of, mm-hmm. instead of Jace, just because he kind of furthers your game plan a little bit better. I, I, I would still want to run Jace, just because it's another win condition. Yeah. I mean, we kind, we kind of mentioned that where uh, Celso was talking about Omni Show. Is a lot of times I'll, you know, even with the Omni Show that I was doing before, I like to run Jace. Even, uh, you know, as far as the brainstorming, uh, fate sealing, a second win condition, but actually in the middle of a combo to be able to cast Emrakul and bounce it with Jace and cast it again isn't the worst. That too. Uh, I just really like the deck Faden because with all the delve cards, his his ability is so good. That's a good point. So good with delve. Yeah. You know what's funny? Um, so the my favorite one that I'm most excited for is the green one, uh, Titania Protector of our uh, Aragoth. Okay. Uh, that one, I think, is flying way under the radar for people because they just don't realize how good it is because it's expensive. So it's three green green for a five three. When it comes into play, return a land card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So already just casting it, you're getting an immediate effect of, you know, getting a land from your graveyard. Mm-hmm. Then what makes it busted is the second ability. Whenever a land you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefields, put a 5-3 green elemental creature token into play. Mm-hmm. Waste your land, I get a 5-3. Fetch, I get a 5-3. Mm-hmm. Life from the loam, play my fetch again, fetch, I get a 5-3. Mm-hmm. She can just win the game by herself, and people think that because she costs 5... She's unplayable, but the deck that wants to abuse her is Lands. And Lands is a deck that can easily get to five mana because it stalls the board out and drops a bunch of lands. Okay, yeah, that's... It's also playing Mox Diamond, so I see her going in as an alternate win condition in Lands, just, like, gaining control of the game, and instead of Dark Depthsing them, just using her to just dominate. It's, it's a little bit quicker than Dark Depths. Mm. Just the fact that, you know, the fact that when she comes into play, she gets a land back, she gets that value. So even if she kills, if she gets killed uh, on the spot before you can take advantage of it, which I don't see why you're playing her without having a wasteland or uh, fetch land up. I can see her in a life from the loam deck, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Even just like waste your own land, get two five threes, mm-hmm. and you can do that at instant speed. You- so just like. End of turn, waste my own land, get two five threes, I'm swinging in for 15 on my turn. Mm-hmm. My, like, that's brutal. Yeah, my suspicion ends up being, though, to the, just the energy field rest in peace decks. And again, that's, that's a small percentage in when you're playing into a field. And that's, that's just, that's any graveyard deck. I mean, if you're afraid of the energy field rest in peace decks, then you might as well not play Dredge or not play Reanimator. You know, graveyard hate is gonna exist. Mm-hmm. But that's why she's in lands, you know. Even if they have the energy field rest in peace, uh, you still have your alternate win condition of Dark Death's Thespian Stage. Yeah, because you just have to peel them off the top and play them. Right, or crop, exactly. Or crop rotation, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah also crop rotation is <laughs> great with her, too. Well, yeah, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, so I was just thinking I don't play against lands enough. You know, I don't... One of the guys will show up with it every once in a great... You know, so often, 
Mm-hmm. But I don't get I don't get to practice against lands, and every time I see it, I, I kind of get lost again in what I'm supposed to do, other than try to land a blood moon. Yeah, that's that's one of its greatest advantages because because it has tabernacle. That's the main reason. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a very good deck without tabernacle, and because tabernacle's one of the hardest to acquire cards in all of Legacy, uh, not very many people can play lands. It does pop up, you know, at top sixteen, the last SCG. It does pop up, but it's very difficult just to put the deck together. So people don't play against it that often, and when they do, they have no idea how to play against it. Mm. But I think we are glossing over probably the legacy card of the set. (laughs) Pretty much guaranteed to see play is the Containment Priest. Oh, I was thinking Goblin Welder was guaranteed to see play. Well, I mean, (laughs) that doesn't count. That's a replay. All right, all right. (laughs) As far as new cards, oh my god, Containment Priest... I think Wizards is single-handedly trying to kill Reanimator one card at a time. I think he's definitely they're definitely trying to kill Sneak and Show. It that card does everything. It's it's a better Grafdigger's Cage with legs. So it's Grafdigger's Cage. That's also a two-two, and now it also has Flash. For some reason, they decided it needed to have Flash. But you know what? I didn't realize until I read Bob's article that it also shuts out elves. In some degree. Oh yeah. You know, I, well, Grafdigger's Cage already shuts out elves. Yeah, but if I didn't, I hadn't thought about Grafdigger's Cage. Isn't so much if it wasn't cast exile. Grafdigger's Cage is just they can't enter from there. I I, right. I, didn't, I didn't think about that interaction with Containment Priest when I first saw it. I mean, Containment Priest is just adding insult to injury because if you, once you have it in play, it's not like they're gonna cast it into it anyways. Mm. It's just you can kind of catch them on that first time when flashing it into play. It once it's in play, it effectively does the same thing as Grafter's Cage, but it's that much better just because Dried Arbor can never be played. You never cast Dried Arbor; it's just your land drop for the turn. Yeah. So you're not casting Dried Arbor, so fetching it, Green Sun Zenithing it, or just playing it as your land, it gets exiled. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, for those Dryad Arbor decks. Yeah. I mean, the the other, the one thing I also noticed um, was just that it actually shuts down Ether Vial. So I don't necessarily. I, I'd be curious to see. I can't see. Pl- that yeah, that's the big debate. Is is Death and Texas going to run it? Are they going to sacrifice a Ether Vial for that effect? Right, and, and in some matchups, it may come in out of the sideboard. But what, what I could see is like um, the. Just guy deck. <laughs> yeah. The, oh, I didn't even think about well, that. Well, as 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 opposed to a meddling mage, or a, in alongside a meddling mage. Yeah. Or even as opposed to a graph diggers. I'm running three graph diggers cage in my just guy. Yeah, you have me doing that. In, <laughs> in my patriot blade, in my patriot blade deck, I'm running uh, three graph diggers cage. Why? Why three cages? Uh, because I got blown out by manalist dredge, and I said never again. But no, here's see. I, I was discussing this um, recently. So, and this, I'm sure this is just me, because whatever, but a lot of times I noticed I like I would rather have such a diversified sideboard of one-ofs that work in conjunction well against certain matchups. So, like, against against Reanimator, I'd bring a Graph Digger's Cage, a Surgical Extraction, and, you know, some other piece of something, maybe a Bounce Spell or whatever. Um but then that bounce spell would also be valid against the Delver deck along with two other cards on the sideboard. The Graph Digger's Cage can come in against Elves again, along with Engineered Plague. And, you know, and search, and it's a, you're, you're definitely right. It's just Graph Digger's Cage is in itself such a diversified card. It is. It, it shuts down graveyard decks. It shuts down Elves. It's just, it has that full package appeal and the fact that it costs one. Delver decks want to kill your opponent as quickly as possible, so you don't want to be wasting your two drop 
uh, playing a rest in peace because you want to be casting Stoneforge Mystic turn two. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's why you want the Grafdigger's Cage. You play it turn one, and then that buys you enough time to kill your opponent before they can deal with it. Mm. And the reason why graft three Grafdigger's Cage instead of like a Relic of Progenitus and a Tormod's Grip and a Grafdigger's Cage is because Grafdigger's Cage does all the things those other two do just as effectively, but that also has the bonus effect of also dealing uh, with Elves and uh, other decks that run Green Sun Zenith and kind of try and take advantage of casting creatures from the from the deck. But isn't everyone you draw after the first a dead draw? Yeah, but you're running uh, three Brainstorm and Treasure Cruise that <laughs> it's not the worst thing in the world. You guys have the same argument. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, I was talking about this with Celso, and he's like, oh, but I could Brainstorm it away, and I'm thinking, like... That's the beauty of Brainstorm. I'm like, five turns later, you draw it again. Like, it's still... You just dead draw twice. <laughs> like, I don't yeah, know, man. And, and they cast their... I forget what the new elf is that blows up an artifact, but they cast the elf, and they kill it, and then you just cast your other one. Yeah. Or you, it's never bad to have redundant copies of it. No. There you know, there there aren't that many cards that kill multiple artifacts other than maybe like engineered explosives. And I'll tell you, with all the hand disruption that I ended up running into, I really started I I'm still going back to thinking about playing Noxious Revival in Tin Fence. Oh yeah, that was the worst. I was playing Reanimator and I thought sees my opponent and I see rest in peace, rest in peace. And I'm just like, oh my god. Ooh, oh. <laughs> the, re- the redundancy. Yeah, yeah, I wish I had my thought seize again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, oh, also, before I forget, one other card that I think might see Legacy play in the future, but probably isn't good enough just yet, is the Masterwork of Ingenuity. It's one colorless, yeah. uh, when it comes into play, copy and equipment. Mm-hmm. So, it's not that great because so I had a big long debate with uh, some of my buddies Jay and uh, Dan Hall and all of them mm-hmm. uh, about it and they're saying well what are you going to do copy your opponent's batter skull they're just going to bou- bounce it in response and my answer to that was well if they're paying three mana to bounce the batter skull just have to either restone forge it or recast it that's probably worth it and if they don't you now have a batter skull that's probably good but that's still a corner case um if you're copying your own batter skull, that's good too, but that's kind of just win more. Like, do you really need a second batter skull uh, to close out the game? What I see Masterwork really being good is in the future, if they print another uh, equipment that's just busted, and especially some equipment that's busted in multiples, I can see Masterwork of Ingenuity just skyrocketing in price and just being a very good card in Legacy, but I just don't think the power level's there just quite yet. Now that you mention it, let me... Um, Feast and Famine is the one where your opponent discards and you untap, right? Uh, yes, you untap all your lands and your opponent discards a card. How many instants can you get away with while it's on the stack? What deck? What, what deck can abuse that? Like if you double equip two Feast of Famines onto something? Oh, uh, and then like resolve one, resolve cast one. a bunch of stuff, and then resolve. Yeah, uh, it's a lot of work because you got to play white. There's not many instants that are worth it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not even just the instance, it's just the cards. I mean, when you're casting, uh, you know, you're, you're getting 15 mana in a turn and you're a swords deck, you know, most swords based decks don't need 15 mana. But dig through time's pretty expensive. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the I only thing I could that. think of, that's the only thing I could think of that's instant speed that actually could use a lot yeah. of mana. That's, it's just, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think master, I don't see master work of ingenuity. I think it's a cute, um, you know, I'll bring it, like, if I'm playing a True Name Nemesis deck and you're playing a Stoneforge deck, I may bring it in out of the side, 
just in case. Yeah, but it's, do you really want to dedicate a sideboard slot to that? To Stoneforge Mystic decks? Depends how, yeah. I mean, depends how prevalent they are. Yeah, it, I mean, not in this meta, but I, yeah, you're right. I can see metas where that would be the right choice. I mean, if I'm playing, if I, like, it's, it's gonna, you know, I, I wouldn't want to play it in a deck with my own jit. Like, that's just not good. <laughs> um, but as far as, uh, it would have to come in out of the side in some matchups. And, and, and I think most of the time what I'm finding is against the Stoneforge decks that are gonna be playing equipment, I think I'd just rather see a Null Rod, and then they just can't equip it. Yeah, I definitely don't see it as a hate card. I definitely see it more of as an abusive card that you can take advantage of. Yeah. It's just, I, I'm tr- struggling to think of I, an equipment they could print where you could take advantage of. Like, maybe they print an equipment that, you know, you can sack for an effect. Mm-hmm. I, I see that being good. Uh, if they bring back germ tokens and they have another creature-based equipment, kind of like Batterskull, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason you want two of them instead of one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still very good to cast on your own Batterskull, but it's it's win more. Right, right. You know, in the games where you're winning with Batterskull, you're already winning, and the games where Batterskull isn't winning the game, having a second one usually isn't going to do that much better, unless they have, like, one Tarmogoyf that's a 4-5. Uh, Feels about as good as having two Thopta Foundries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, or, well, it's nice, but I could be do- doing something better than this. So would you like to hear a terrible story? Go for it. Okay, so I went to the store the other day to pick up a few cards because I wanted to put I wanted to put together this blue-red Delver deck, and there was only a couple of cards I needed. So I went down to the store, and I got a couple copies of Forked Bolt. <laughs> Very nice. And I, while I'm there, I picked up a couple copies of Chill. Not, I love the Chilazine play again. Not, that, n- I love that. Not for the same deck, but <laughs> because <laughs> and then I, no, definitely same deck, same deck. And I, I picked up a couple <laughs> copies of Scavenging Ooze, just if I wanted to put a type of Shadless Bug back together. Yeah, he's dirt cheap right now. He's like what? What you get five bucks? Uh, yeah, and and he was like seventy five before he got reprinted, right? So it's yeah. I, I just <laughs> I'm looking at it going, well, I'm not gonna play Tarmogoyf right now, and. I might as well just try scavenging ooze and, and Bob's. Unfortunately, in reading Bob's article, he's not uh, too keen on where Shardless Bug is gonna be going. So, and I could I could see that he's got good points to it. Um, I'm, I'm hoping which would I'm hoping to just have some fun with uh, scavenging ooze because I missed the Shardless Bug deck that was so much fun. Yeah, I think the way Bob sums it up is Treasure Cruise is greater than Ancestral Visions. Uh, Treasure Cruise is definitely greater than him to Torek. <laughs> like, that seems to be the that way it goes. Too. I'm gonna make you discard too, so that I just, like, ramped you into your Treasure Cruise. So that's awkward. Um, but what, what I picked up was actually, because, you know, I've been, I've been, uh, eyeballing my Null Rods lately. So I, mm-hmm. so I, I, I decided I'd do something cute. I picked up a liquid metal coating, and I figured I would, you know, maybe I'll turn your island into an artifact with an Elrod in play. And then it dawned on me on my way home that actually liquid metal coating just doesn't do anything with an Elrod in play. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You're like, oh, yes, this is awesome. I'm going to try this. It's only a buck, and on my way home, I'm like, <laughs> it's not, oh, damn, I could have got four gumballs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I did the same thing with Shardless Bug, too, funny enough. Uh, I was building Shardless Bug, and I'm like, oh, why has no one thought of putting a Ether Vial in Shardless Bug? <laughs> okay. I, I put... I put the, uh, what's the, what's the shard, uh, sh- I put shardless agent in play off of Aether Vial, and that's pure value. <laughs> and that's something like, 
cast. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. I was actually, you know, when we were talking about dual caster mage, I'm like, hmm, would I want a dual caster mage somebody's tendrils? And I thought about it, I'm like, I don't get the storm copies. Yeah, <laughs> so, sometimes it's the semantics of legacy that are all so fun. Yep, that's it. <laughs> Oh, oh, I got card. I'm supposed to read the card. I see. <laughs> yeah, a card can go, can go from being just absolute crap to the best card ever or the best card ever to absolute crap with one one word. Yeah. Not even a line, just one word. How, how many drinks have you had? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that card's the best. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Oh, man. So good. So uh, I can see yeah. I can see that they're redoing the Frost Titan. Yeah, there's been a lot of debate about the cycles because, uh, what is it, Profane Command? Is that the black one? I think Profane Command is the black one, and that is in the Black Commander deck, so people got really excited and like, oh, oh my god, does that mean we're going to have Cryptic Command in the blue one? And I don't think they're doing full cycles. Uh, no. I, don't, I don't think they're going to do the t- Titan cycle. I don't think they're going to do the uh, Command cycle. I think they are going to do the Diamond cycle. Okay. Uh, the, you know... It, Artifacts that cost two and make cards of that color cost one less. Like, uh. Jet, jet medallion. Yeah, uh, medallion, that's what it is. Jet medallion, black spells cost one less, and so on and so forth. Mm. I think that's the only cycle that's gonna be in the commander sets. Hmm. Because those are like $10 cards for some reason. It's commander, that's why. I mean, I was actually talking with somebody the other day, and they said, they, I said something, you know, top is, it looks like tops are around 30 now. Yep, there's a couple cards that look to be targeted for reprint. Uh, tops, one of oh, them. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, because they're not gonna print top in any, uh, standard legal, uh, or, you know, tournament level deck ever again, just because they don't want that in the competitive scene. You think that would just go into the commander decks? If it would be reprinted, it would be reprinted in Commander or another one of the, you know, special, like, Plane Chase, whatever. Okay, all right, yeah, because they can't do it in Modern Masters with a band in Modern. Right, exactly. Um, it, I don't know if it's an official Wizards announcement, but Wizards has pretty much come out and said that every other year is going to be a, com- a new Commander deck, mm-hmm. and then the alternating year is going to be, like, a fun, crazy deck, like they did. Yeah, Plane Chase. The last one was Conspiracy. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to alternate Commander, Crazy Set, Commander, Crazy Set. So I see Top being reprinted in one of those sets. You know, I still haven't bought one pack of Conspiracy. Oh, man, I love Conspiracy. Really? Conspiracy, if you... So those are the sets that Legacy players can really enjoy because you can do these broken things that you do in Legacy, but you can do it in draft. It's It's cube. It was meant to be a cube that you could draft. Right. Um, so that's, that's really what it was. So you could honestly just take a whole bunch of conspiracy packs, open them up, and then slot in a couple legacy powered cards mm-hmm. and have a pretty decent cube. So think of it as playing kind of like a powered down legacy format. Oh, I don't know, man. Like it's, this, I mean, this, uh, this so much fun. This car- There's this a wall's deck. There's a wall's deck. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, this card's out of conspiracy that I've, that of course, that, of course I like exploration, misdirection, brainstorm. Um, but like, yeah, those foil brainstorms open a 70, $75 uncommon. Yeah, but I still, I like, I, I haven't even, I haven't opened a pack of conspiracy. And my only regret is that I do want a Dak Faden. You know, I, I do want to stick a yeah. still, I do want to stick a one of in Sneak and Show just to see because I haven't seen I haven't seen anybody do it. And I'm curious what it plays like. It, it seems like 
you know, a planeswalker that's going to faithless looting me through a combo deck can't be too terrible. But it's just, it's it, for some reason, I don't know, man. The last time I put Sneak and Show together, it seemed like there was so much death and taxes. And, and with with the with uh, the Phyrexian revokers and the Pything needles, it just was too much. Uh, we have an unopened box of conspiracies, so GP New Jersey, we're gonna we're gonna draft <laughs> some conspiracy agent. Uh, I still gotta figure out if I'm going. Uh, yeah, I actually, so I'm rooming with, uh, all the guys, you know, uh, Dan Hall and Josh Sissio and all those guys, but I don't know if we actually have the hotel booked yet. Mm. It's still up in the air, so. Yeah, I got, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going, actually, now that you mention well, it. Well, <laughs> you know, I noticed, I, I was thinking about it at work today, and I, I've, I've kind of, I've been on the fence. Um, you know, everybody, Everybody that knows me, they're like, oh, yeah, you should go down there. And then every everybody that knows me that I play with is telling me I should go down there. And everybody that I know that doesn't play and doesn't even know what the game is is telling me I should go down there. Because, like, I'll tell them, like, well, it's this big, huge tournament where a bunch of people play Legacy. And they're like, well, that's the format that you like, right? And I'm like, yeah, there's supposed to be, you know, a couple grand or so people. And they're like, but then you should go. It sounds like Disney World for you. Like, and, and yeah, I'm like, it's supposed to be the largest GP in history. Well, they already have a 1,000 people pre-registered. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, then i got to book a hotel. Um It'd be kind of neat to get the brainstorm out. Of course, it'd be cool to, like, see a bunch of people, you know, um, and and hang out at the GP like that's that's kind of the fun part of it you know and and but in in all reality if I went down there if I went down to the GP I would bring tin fins yeah I mean you have to the thing I like best about it is that the legacy GP is kind of its own separate GP feel um you know there's GPs every week and you know you go to your standard GPs you go to your sealed GPs mm-hmm. and they're all pretty similar the legacy GP is different Why? legacy GP is just like mecca for legacy players cuz it only happens once a year and most areas of the country don't really get to play legacy that often mm-hmm. people fly in from all over like when i at the one last year i was meeting people from germany i was meeting people from california from all over the world flying in to play legacy here because it only happens once a year it's where you you go and you just it's the one time the one time you get to meet and talk to people that love the format that you do that's uh it's the niche format of a niche game you know not everyone knows magic and those that do know magic not everyone knows legacy so it's a very the legacy community is very inclusive once you're part of it you're like a blood brother <laughs> in the legacy community and it's where everyone gets together and meets up and hangs out and has a great time mm. it's the only thing that really compares to it is like the bizarre moxen in uh, Europe which I would also love to go to sometime but it's it's just you you see things you wouldn't be able to see anywhere else you know there's vintage tournaments that fire where else are you going to go where there's a vintage tournament firing yeah um you know people you know just the cards themselves uh i think at the last gp someone joked uh imagine if this convention center burned down it would probably be about you know a couple million dollars in lost products right, because right, right. A cu- there's a couple of islands could have been bought <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, there's there's three thousand people here. Each person has uh, a three to five thousand dollar deck. Do the math. Then take into account all the vendors that have power and specialty cards and and you know dual lands and everything. Mm. There's so much value there. You know, that's where you go. Like 
where else are you going to see beta tropical islands or Korean Mishra's factories that are miscut and, you know, all these crazy things that you're not able to see anywhere else okay. where people break out and show and, you know, just kind of geek out over. Yeah, yeah, I get your point. I get your point. You know, as a vendor going to, for example, GP Boston, um, where it's a modern format, why would you bother to bring, you know, some of those like you said, uh, Beta Volcanic Islands and stuff. That yeah, it's like, sure, you might find a a seller. It's also, it, the big thing is foreign cards. Legacy players, more than any other format other than maybe like Vintage, uh, their, Vintage is kind of lumped in with Legacy, love their foreign cards. They love to pimp out their deck with foreign cards, and it's very difficult to get those specific cards you want in foreign or commit your, like, how hard is it to find, you know, German daisies. Okay, let, let me ask you something because I'm still in the minority there. Um, why, why foreign cards? Uh, there's two reasons. One practical, one impractical. Uh, one is the advantage it gives you. And that's, I've actually, that's, that's the, that's the reason that I do understand. Right. So I've actually won a game before. Uh, I was playing, uh, I forget what I was playing, but I had a Japanese Vendillion click. Mm-hmm. And my opponent had a Caracas. Mm -hmm. And I sat there and scratched my head as I beat my opponent into oblivion with my Vendillion click while he never activated Caracas once. Mm -hmm. At first I'm like, oh, maybe he doesn't want me to, you know, get the ability off Vendillion click when I just cast it again. Mm -hmm. But then I was killing him with it and he still wasn't activating it. And at the end, his uh, his friend pointed out, "Is like you know, Vendillion Click's a legend, right?" And he's like, "Oh no, I didn't know." Yeah, see, that's that's what I don't like about foreign cards. Right. So some people, it's definitely uh, it's it's verging on you know, is this shady? Is this unshady? I would never do it just for the advantage that that gives you. But at the same time, if you don't know what a card does, ask a judge. I'll always go with that. The reason why I like foreign cards is the pimp factor. You know, Legacy is the luxury format of a luxury game. The only and I will say the only foreign cards that I um, used intentionally were basic planes in my land tax deck. I had some Japanese right. basic planes, but like the I think. And maybe there are people who just don't realize it's a plane. I don't know. But it, that that's also the, the reason why I like it, too, is the aesthetic factor. They just look nice. And I feel it's almost like a subconscious psychological thing where, yes, I know this game so well, I know this deck so well, that I can just recognize a card on site. I don't need to read it to know what it does. Because Yeah, but like, it's because they're your 60. I'm, I'm 60? Wait, no, what? No, no, that's... Like, yeah... It, Let's let's say you pimp out your deck with foreigns, right? And of course, like I, I know this deck so well that I I just I know what this card does. Well, that's because it's your deck, right? But even if my opponent's running foreign cards, unless it's some weird obscure card, I still know what it is. So it's almost like that I don't know deep rooted psychological connection where it's like you know we know this game so well that we could play it in our sleep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I get I get that. I think it's just. Um, I think it can be, and it can be for me too. You know, I think it could be off-putting to a newer player. You know, where they're like, "Well, I, how am I going to learn this format? I can't even read what your card does." Actually, you know what? And I actually had this. I had this happen at the GPT. Uh, what the hell did the guy play? So I'm playing against that Lone Pox deck, or whatever the heck it was, and I got to play around Graphic Cage and all that that I was telling you about earlier. Mm-hmm. So the guy cast Sadistic Sacrament. I don't know what the hell Sadistic Sacrament does. 
and it wasn't foreign, but it was autographed. And I'm trying to read it through the marker, and I can't see what it says. And he's trying. He's trying. Call a judge. Well, the, Call a judge. Well, the, the judge was sitting there, and he was, you know, nice enough to just open his phone and get me the oracle text. And I'm like, all right, well, thank you, because I couldn't, um, you know. And here's a, I guess, I don't know, some sort of a pet peeve. This, this times were like. I have to think. You know, unfortunately, playing Legacy, I have to think. <laughs> so, so i got to read a card, and I have to try to understand what the card is telling me that it does. And when I'm trying to take that information in through my eyes and interpret it, and somebody is verbally explaining something to me, I can't take in two inputs. Like, Yeah, I'm the same way. A, I'm, I'm very much a visual person, so I'll ask the judge, can I see your phone, can I just read it myself? Right, right, because, you know, I, well, it's a legendary 3-1. Well, okay, that's great, but well, how come you're not telling me that you're going to look at my hand and make me bottom a card? <laughs> you know, like, there's, there's something else that's missing here. And I just like to, I like to be able to read it myself, so the foreign cards can put me off from that because I'm not, I'm not getting the chance to take in the information myself. You know, and it is that it's an advantage thing. I can I can mm-hmm. see that. Like to play foreign cards in a format is an advantage thing because maybe your opponent doesn't know exactly what you have in your hand or on the board. Right, and and that's the pseudo scummy, pseudo you know getting the advantage type play. Right. So I I'm not a fan of that. The other reason, which I just thought of too, which is kind of a corner case, but comes up with a specific language, is Italian. So legends cards okay. for yes. whatever reason, wizards ridiculously overprinted the Italian language legends cards. Now let me ask you, those came out before Chronicles, right? Like they didn't, they didn't, they yeah. didn't all right, so they didn't overprint the Italian legends just because they underprinted the English ones. No, the, it, I, it was just. I'm not sure of what the exact story is. I think it was just a mix-up of the printer, or okay. they were like overzealous on the Italian market for lead, for magic, and it just wasn't there. So it ended up being a, a bunch of the product was just dumped in, you know, basically American dollar stores. Yeah. Just like, they're, oh, they're magic, and surprise, they're Italian. So there yeah. are, I mean, yeah, there's there are other cases that I can see what you're saying where you can find an Italian Caracas cheaper than an, or an English Caracas or a Tabernacle. Right. That happened to me in uh, Bug Walkers. I was playing Nether Void, mm-hmm. which is this obscure card that very few people know about, but it's awesome. It's three colors and a black, mana leak every spell that's cast. Right. Counter counter every spell unless you pay three. Great card in the Bug Walkers deck, and I have the Italian version because the Italian version's like sixty dollars cheaper than the English version. And I'm a bargain hunter, bargain hunter at heart, so I'll take that all day, every day. Well, if the, yeah, but, I mean, if there's a huge price difference, then it makes sense. But like, yeah, no, I, I don't see it's literally. But just my point about it though is, I was playing the, I was playing it, and every time I cast Nether Void, I immediately said, "All right, I cast Nether Void. Feel free to call a judge." Yeah. And hand, handed the card to my opponent. They saw it's an Italian. They called the judge over. The judge brings up the English version, mm-hmm. and then they still have questions because they're like, "That does what?" Yeah, sure. <laughs> what about now? What set was Chains of Mephistopheles in? Legends. Okay. All those cards. Uh, the uh, the Italian version's cheaper. Caracas, Chains of Mephistopheles. Keep in mind, these are all cards that people are like, "That does what?" Right. And crazy, you know, rules variants. Chains of Mephistopheles. Uh, uh, Nether Void, The Abyss, Caracas, Tabernacle at Pendleval, all these cards. In the Eye of Chaos. Uh, yeah, in the Eye of Chaos. That uh, oh, what what does that do again? Count, uh, counter any instant or sorcery spell unless its controller pays X or X is equal to its casting cost. 
Right. So I saw yep. somebody, and, I, and it's an enchantment. I, it's an enchantment. Just stays in place. It just doubles the cost of every spell cast. I think the only time I've actually seen it was in um, a list run. I believe a list run, a bug list run by. Yep. Exactly. Um, oh, there's another one. I forget what it's called, but it's a blue enchantment, and it's each player sacrifices a land at the beginning of their of their upkeep. Jeez, that's a blue enchantment. It's a yeah. It's a blue. <laughs> Blue enchantment. Each player sacrifices a land at the beginning of their upkeep. I'll, I'll see if I can find it before ridiculous. the episode's over. That is ridiculous. Blue blue land destruction. Wow. Uh, actually, I should I should take a look into that for land tax. For yeah. Blue white land tax. Exactly. Uh, then oh, that reminding drop of honey. The green. It's like one green for an enchantment. Yeah. Same as periphery yeah. nodes. Yeah, periphery nodes is the white reprint. Mm-hmm. Just had to smoke it on the cigarette. Uh, that's gonna require <laughs> editing, maybe. I'm, 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 I'm also walking around in my wireless headset because I, I was such a rush at work. You know, like three thirty, my boss is like, "Oh, take your whole office and move it upstairs, make it look lived in for tomorrow morning." I'm like, "You gotta be kidding me! I'm out of here!" Like, "Oh, thanks." Oh, that's what salary's about. And then I'm like, I'm looking at him. The wife called me up. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I gotta." Jerry's waiting for me too. I gotta get going. So I came home. I put on my wireless headset. I'm like, watch the he- the battery's gonna die. <laughs> so I got my other headset with me too. So you are now doing Patriot Stone. Yes, I think it's probably, definitely, for sure, <laughs> going to be the uh, the deck that I run for the GPT. Uh, the GP. Mm-hmm. It's just I really like that deck. Has game against pretty much the entire format. It's a Delver deck, which I have historically done really well with. Uh, I just, you know, don't really see a reason not to play it. Mm, I'm, I'm still, well, I'm still debating if I'm going to go or not. But and that's so, it's so terrible, really. When when I think about there's people who would love to play every week, maybe, and they're in like Montana or Wyoming or. Who knows where? Where there's like not a store around. I'm lucky enough to play every week. I'm like, eh, maybe I'll just skip the GP. <laughs> it's only six hours away, you know. Or no, it's shorter than that. It's only like four hours. Oh, then maybe I'll just leave Friday after work and head down there. Well, that's that's the thing. I'm I'm so I'm taking the Series Seven test, which is basically the stockbroker's equivalent of a realty license. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm taking it that Friday. Oh, <laughs> so. I'm either so if I pass the test I get a huge raise. If I fail the test I get fired. Oh really? So I'm either gonna be really happy and giddy at the GP or I'm gonna be don't talk to me, I'm here to drown myself. <laughs> I'm, here, I'm here to sell my cards. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not get carried they, away. They, it's, it's really it's really like that? Yeah. Well, I had to accept the job with the understanding that I would pass the test within hundred and twenty days. Oh. And if you fail the test, the uh, FINRA and the SEC uh, put a restriction on it where you can't take it again uh, within uh, 30 days. Okay. So just the way the timing works out, I like the two rules counteract each other. Where if I fail it once, I'm I'm out. Hmm. Well, so you got some pressure on you for it then. Yep, definitely pressure. That's why I've kind of been a little, little tense in the last couple putt recordings, just because I'm basically doing 72 hour work weeks where I'm just shutting on stop. Oh, my, my buddy Bill does IT and like, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I do a lot with computers and stuff. Um, this guy's, this guy's phenomenal with them. And, you know, he's reading like 2,000 page books of just boring code stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that that would like make me drive myself nuts because you know I go to work, I do a lot of network stuff at work, and I gotta 
um, I maintained the server and everything else, and I started trying to read up on SQL, and that is dry. I, I love math books, but like some of the, you know, and and it, when it's like two thousand pages of acronyms for really nothing more than just the sake of having an acronym, it it gets really. I don't know. I, I don't know how you don't get terribly deep into computers, do you? Yeah, I'm not a computer savvy person. Okay. I mean, I can hook up a printer yeah. <laughs> and I can connect to the internet and I can do your basic <laughs> stuff, which makes my grandparents think I'm a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> but. I can't, you know, like fix a computer or build a hard drive or anything like that. Yeah, well, I can't build a hard drive either. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so enough computer stuff. Um, I did find that Legends card. At least I think this is the one I was thinking of. Yeah, tell me about it. Uh, tell me about it. It is. Uh, I just had the list up. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling through the Legends card databank trying to figure out what it is. Yep. Uh, uh, where did it go? Remember, you played against the guy that the other one that was doing um, oh, liquid metal coating with Gorilla Shaman. Oh yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> Gor- Gorilla Shaman's like XX one destroy target artifact yeah. that co- that costs X. Uh, with converted mana cost X and liquid metal coating is an artifact that you tap target permanent becomes an artifact. Yeah, so he was doing a lot of land destruction with it. Yep, exactly. And it seemed, I mean, it was a, it was a little miserable thing to play against, but at the time I was playing a deck where I only needed one land to kill. Part of me is glad Wizards doesn't print good land destruction cards anymore, and part of me is really sad. Because being a land destruction player is one of the most fun feelings in the world. <laughs> Playing against the land destruction player is one of the most miserable feelings in the world. I, I, I will say, playing against Wastelands and Stifles, uh, does sort of drive me up a wall. Yeah, but it's it's a specialty. They're, they're not pure land destruction. You know, you can play around Wasteland and Stifle by just playing basics. But the fact that Sinkhole is just destroy. Like I don't okay. care if you're playing basics. I'm still gonna destroy your lands. All right, yep. Like, like Ice Icicron Scepter Sinkhole. <laughs> that's miserable. Oh, you can do it. Yeah, you can stick a Sinkhole under an Icicron Scepter. <laughs> Yep, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it just because Abrupt Decay is a thing. Yeah, but if you're playing in Misdirection. I, I think, you know, I haven't <laughs> seen enough Abrupt Decay to start doing Misdirections. I've thought about it because, you know, in this blue-red deck, I'm thinking, well, against the bug decks, I should probably just bring play in Misdirection. And at least I can um, I can wipe it back to their Delver or I can wipe it back to their Deathrite Shaman. I think it's not as much a concern anymore because the format sped up a bunch with the blue red deck. Mm-hmm. Abrupt decay is too slow. It, uh, it is. It's. It's. It, it now. It yeah. now has this awkward mana cost. Right. That's why bug is fallen out of favor. Mm-hmm. Is that its removal is abrupt decay and disfigure. It doesn't have any hard removal like uh, swords to plowshares or even lightning bolts in the format. Like disfigure is the really close. But there are those times where Disfigure just doesn't cut it. You know what else I actually did pick up, and apparently this was the wrong time to pick it up, um, but Hibernations. I yeah. I picked up a couple of Hibernations just because I, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, well, it's going to bounce Deathrite, Goyf, Scavenging Ooze, and, and it maybe if I pull it out of Ten Fens, it might not be bad. But, you know, it was just... I, I, I've seen a couple of plays where Hibernation had such an impact on the deck that it was playing against... That I, I want, I, right. I wanted to, I wanted to get them into my collection just to, just for those, just for those times where I, you know, wanted to be able to play them. Exactly. You know, sometimes I don't want to, you know, we have 
there's a couple of stores around here that are very well organized. If I if I want to find a card, it's right in their binder and it's priced and it's not you know it's very easy. It's very easy to track down and trace, but those aren't the stores that I normally play at. You know, mm-hmm. so I have to go track down a card at another store because it's going to take me five seconds there, where I might find it at this other store if I have a couple hours to dig through boxes. Right, and you can usually feel uh, find them for a deal too. Like that's that's everyone's dream: dig through a bulk box and find a wasteland. Yeah, or you know, dig through a commons box and find a starter edition version of Sleight of Hand. True story. Uh, so the local comic, uh, local game shop around me in Watertown uh, sells magic cards. Not a magic player at all. Um, he kind of employs me and my friends sometimes to just like sort boxes for him because he has no idea what any of the cards are worth. Okay. And he just had us go through his basement one time, found like a deck box from like '95. I'm gonna say okay. or. You know, whenever it was, uh, just, this thing was covered in an inch of dust. Not, probably not 95, like 97, 98, something like that. Covered in an inch of dust, hadn't seen the light of day in years. Going through it and just find a gem mint tabernacle wow. in the box. <laughs> wow. It's like, oh, you just had a mortgage payment sitting in your basement. Hmm. hmm. So where else do we go? I think that's all the commander cards that I can think of anyway. Do you have any, uh, Speculations on any cards? How how many you're gonna see top play? Uh, the white one. What's it called? Uh, what's her name? Containment priest. Containment priest. That's her name. Uh, she's definitely gonna see play. Uh, probably going to be as a combination of the decks that run Grafdigger's Cage. Rest in peace. Probably gonna replace a couple copies. So decks that probably run like two. Rest in peace. May run one of her one rest in peace or same thing with Grafdigger's Cage. Switch him off. It's a little bit more limited because she's white. She's not an artifact, so she won't see as much play. She's definitely going to see the most out of any of the commander cards. Uh, I really hope Titania sees play. I think she can be broken the easiest. The other cards, Dual Caster Mage, people will try out, probably figure out it's not good enough and start to cut. That's what I think. That's what I think. I think, I think, uh, probably be just, of course, well, you know, the thing, the interesting thing about Legacy is you can try these different things, but you typically find out it's just worse. Or at least, yeah. at least the things I put together typically tend to be just worse. Exactly. Oh, also for the listeners at home that are tearing their hair out because I said I found the Legends card and then didn't, I have it here, you know, if you were wondering. <laughs> it's called Land Equilibrium. It's an enchantment, and it's two colorless, two blue. If, an opponent would play more land than you, that player plays the land and sacrifices it. So, say I have three land, and you have three land. If you play a land, you then have to sacrifice a land. So your opponent can never have more lands than you do. Okay, so that's really, like, that is it's actually ca- just the it- inverse of land tax. Yeah, it's it's an invert it's an inverted land tax. So if you're playing like an artifact mana deck where you're running all, you know, Chrome Mox, Mox Diamonds, Signets and all that stuff, and just don't play lands, your opponent can't play lands. I wonder why that was never played in Tesserator. Uh I think because people didn't know. <laughs> okay. It it is an obscure card, you know, very few people know about it, mm. and it does cost four, so you're cutting a Jace or a Tezzeret, mm. so you're cutting a win condition for right, it. Right, right, and just, and, and a lot of times, I guess, the decks, by the time you get to four, there's a lot of decks that could just kill you with three. 
Right, and it's also, it's not like Tezzeret doesn't play lands. Tezzeret still plays lands because yeah. it wants the artifact lands to turn into creatures. That's right, that's right. It's it's definitely a build-around-me card. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see a fun deck coming out of that, mm-hmm. where you just make a, man, like, <laughs> imagine, like, a manalist deck uh, finding a way to put that into play. I think that would be hilarious. Mm-hmm. They would actually sack it during their upkeep, is that right? If they would play a land, they have to sacrifice. Oh, okay, it. okay. So it's actually it, so it it's stays anytime. Right. Hence the name Equilibrium. I got it. <laughs> right. So anytime, a, anytime a land would come into play, they would have to sacrifice it. Well, actually, I guess if they had a way of putting it into play, I can't think of any way to put a land into play other than like a fetch land. But that's besides the point. Mm. I wonder, actually, fetch lands might get around it because you play the fetch lands, put the ability on the stack, fetch the fetch lands. Uh, that's definitely a judge question. Yeah. <laughs> we, we'll ask a judge and we'll get back to you guys. Maybe I'll have to email JudgeCast about that. On another, on another topic, um, there's, there's some good players at Ice Imports that I've run into also. But like, one of the things that I've, that's been humorous on occasion, because it's not, there could be some, alright, there could be, some legacy players can be, uh, degrading, I guess. I don't, I've, I'm trying to think of a better term. Um, they can like talk down or whatever. You know, and these guys are kind of funny because they talk across in humor. Like, you know, for example, perfect, oh my god, perfect example, right? Now, your 61st card in your deck was a spell snare. Right, and every, every yes. so everybody's going bad. Oh my God, Jerry, why are you playing spell snare? It's so bad. <laughs> well, a few weeks later, I see Josh spell snare something. I'm like, I'm telling Jerry, you're playing that, you know. And like, <laughs> and then and then sometimes they'll joke amongst each other too. Well, how many pro points do you have? <laughs> like, but they can they can actually answer with a non-zero number, which is <laughs> I can't yep, do that, exactly. which is funny. You know, I'm like, well, but they're not asking me how many pro points do you have because that's degrading. You know what I mean? Because I don't have right. It. I mean, no, it's definitely a very. That's what I love best about it. It's a very family atmosphere. That legacy, a lot of people feel is difficult to get into, or you know, they're nervous, or they don't feel they're going to fit in. But you know, once you get over that barrier and you, you're actually in the community, it's so welcoming. Like, in what other, not even just magic, just any part of life, in what other like point of life, or would you be comfortable walking up to someone that you, you know, only know, you know, casually through the tournament scene and we. Hey, can I borrow five hundred dollars worth of assets? Right, from right, you? right. Oh yeah, sure. Here, just make sure you double sleeve it. Right. You know what else? You know what else I do like about it though, about the legacy community, about the legacy there also, is that um, it's not. And this is as opposed to what I found in standard. It's okay. I play this deck, and I'm playing these cards. And it's because this article said that that's the best list and that that's what I should be playing. And I say that, that I should be playing that because that's what the article says. And there's a lot of that in Standard. In, in Legacy, somebody will say, well, I'm playing this as a... And, and I can give you a perfect example of this. I'm playing this for this reason. And it makes sense. And they have a cohesive theory to it, Wyatt. And they mm-hmm. can back it up. And it's not an argument. It's not a contention. And it's really... It it allows it's not a debate it's an open discussion you know it, but it, it's very valid and my thought was Nick started playing Etherling for Supreme Verdict and Terminus in his yeah, reanimated deck really that is that's really cool and I haven't seen anybody doing that and then you know I went so that GPT I went to I played against a reanimated deck and I started looking at his deck afterwards and he's got uh, Tide Spout Tyrant in the sideboard and 
you know, he wasn't doing what I've seen Nick do, and, and what Nick has been getting the kick out of with his reanimator deck is to animate dead the Ashen Rider, um, get Tidespout Tyrant on the field, then cast the Lotus Petal and bounce the animate dead, let the Ashen Rider die, <laughs> exile something else, animate dead it again, um, exile something else, and then bounce it again, and, and I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty dirty. Like, and that's just stuff that I don't see people doing. And I'm, it's not. And the the neat thing is that that's Nick's um, personal. That's that's his his inspiration on the deck. And it's right. it's not it's not um a, it's not a debate. It's just an open discussion. And it's not because well this article said that this is the best list and that this is what I should be doing. It's because Nick brought that ingenuity and creativity into the build that he plays. And, right. And, and that's. That's what I like. That's what I like is that it's not, well, you should be doing this reanimated deck because this guy wrote an article and said that. And it's, it, I find more of that in standard. I find more, um, of the ability to invest your own energy into a deck and have open discussion about it in legacy. Right. And I feel that's also the benefit of having regular tournaments that always yes. fire. <laughs> uh, a lot of the reason why people just net deck is because, well, the only time I ever get to play this deck is in the one tournament that matters. So am I going to take that risk and, you know, try the tech that I'm not sure works? It might work, but it might not. I don't really know how it is. Or am I just going to run the stock list that I know that is works? That's such a good point. Well, if if you only get one shot at it, you're going to go with the consistent what I know works. But if you're constantly tuning the deck, playing it in a competitive aspect week in and week out, you have those opportunities where it's like, yeah, this is just enough uh, comp- competition where I have the incentive to win and play my best, but it's not so high that I need to be the best at this very moment. I can take those risks because if I lose, I lost, but at least I learned yes. something, and if I won, that's even yeah, better. Yeah, definitely. Top 8 pairings have been posted. So, as we close out, is there anybody that you want to scoop in the top eight, Jerry? Uh, I'm going to scoop in the top eight all the new Legacy players. Uh, it's definitely that time of season with the GP coming up. Legacy has the spotlight on it. People are considering entering the format. You know, there definitely is that hurdle that everyone says there is. But, you know, make friends. If you make the right friends, you're not going to have that hurdle because, you know, the right people will loan you the cards. You know, they'll help you along the way. So, if you're new to Legacy, you know, great for you. This this shout-out's to you. And if you're thinking about getting into Legacy, uh, do it. If you need help, you know, hit us up, hit, hit people up. You know, guidance is everything you need. Mm. Living to three days ago. Wow, yeah. three days ago. So this was last Sunday. I'm, I'm going to scoop in the top eight. Max Martinez. I don't even know who he is, but he made 15th place in SCG Open with Tin Fins. <laughs> oh, there you go. So, any anybody that can battle through a field um, with this deck is uh, my my hats are off to him. It's there we go. Good job, Max. Yeah, good job, Max. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, I think everything else as far as contact information is in the show outro now. I don't even think we have to worry about that. Oh, perfect! I can stop messing up my Twitter yeah, I th- handle. I think I think Lita, I think Lita did a good job with it too. Ah, uh, the lovely yeah. Lita. All right, well then, uh, sounds good, Jerry. Always a pleasure, Always Adrian. Always a pleasure, Jerry. Lovely evening spent with you. <laughs> ah, excellent. All right, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. <laughs> yeah, take it easy, man. Later, I'll talk Jerry. to you.
The tournament is over and the store is closing. Feel free to see us during normal business hours by emailing the show at leavingalegacymtg at gmail.com. You can also find the host on Twitter with Adrian at Mathema Trickster and Jerry at JMEE3RD. You can also join the Leaving a Legacy Facebook group to stay connected.